0: I think with each of my books, they come from a different spark. So I think it's just being open. But I think first of all, ideas come when you set the intention that you want one.
1: Welcome to the Creative Solutions Podcast. On the show, it's my job to tease out the creative solutions my guests are coming up with to change the world through creativity, social action, and mindset. I also give you tips and techniques so you can do the same. This episode is brought to you by my class, Meditation for Busy People, where you'll learn how to relieve stress and discover clarity and joy in just five minutes a day. It's also brought to you by the Brain FM app and this podcast host, Podbean. Also, follow the podcast on Instagram or TikTok, and check out our shop for merch, music, and musings. The links are all in the show notes. Hello, and welcome to the Creative Solutions Podcast. I'm your host, Isolde Trachtenberg. Super grateful that you're here. I'm super grateful that my new best friend, who I have so much in common with, <laughs> is <laughs> a guest, uh, Jacqueline Goldus I I actually it's and even to that, I have a younger sister named Golda. So it's just really amazing how many things we've ha- we have in common. I'm super excited to introduce you to her jacqueline is a graduate of the university of michigan in ann arbor like i am and nyu law like i almost was she practiced (laughs) trust and estate law at a large chicago firm for seven years before leaving her job to travel the world and write novels how cool is that her debut novel when we were young it's historical women's fiction was published in 2021 by hatchet forever her next novel the chateau actually the most recent novel i should say at this point because it's already out it's a mystery thriller and It was released in May 2023 from Simon & Schuster, Atria Emily Bessler Books. Jacqueline, I'm super excited to have you on the show. Welcome.
0: Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here.
1: It's so... Amazing how much we have in common. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> yes, yeah. Agreed. So, so uh, yeah. I think I'm probably twice your age, but it does not matter. Once, once a Wolverine, always a Wolverine. So, I, I would love to to just start with that. Actually, you you grew up in Michigan. You went to the to U of M, and what what got you from U of M to law school, and then to going? You know what? I, I, this isn't the life for me. I'm going to chuck it all and go travel the world and write books. Can you talk about what that, because that's a mindset thing that I adore. And I'd love to know how that worked for you.
0: Yeah, of course. Um, Well, I think I have to start by saying I never actually wanted to be a lawyer, which I know is a funny thing to say, you know, of someone who went to law school and seven years at a law firm, like you said, it went down a decade long path. Um, in a direction maybe that I didn't, yeah, wasn't pa- passionate about and didn't mm-hmm. necessarily see a long-term future in. I always mm-hmm. always wanted to be a writer since my earliest memory. Um I was always writing stories even before I could write. I was like cobbling together picture like pictures from coloring books and making stories out of them. So it was really always my dream and my intention, but I, mm-hmm. I don't think when you're 22 and about to graduate college, at least speaking for myself, that, um, you know, A, I had, you know, the savings to go try Mm to do that and B, had the life experience, frankly, to be able to be writing kind of stories with the depth that I would have wanted. And um, I did, I wrote a novel when I was 17. It was my first novel. um, Actually, after coming to... Israel on a summer program, I was so inspired. And so I wrote a book set in Israel, um, which is actually where I live now. But, um, yeah, so I wrote that book when I was 17 and I wrote two books in my 20s. So I was trying for it. I was, I was kind of running these two parallel careers and why law school? Well, I I knew I needed a career that Mm -hmm. like was going to give me security. And, um, and I thought I would be good at law. I mean, I was a good writer, so I thought that would lend itself to law, Um, and I did well in the LSAT, so, you know, I, I kind of just started down that path and I thought, okay, well, I I may not last longer than a couple of years at a big law firm because frankly, I saw how, you know, people were working till four in the morning and Mm. to be doing that for something I wasn't passionate about, I didn't really envision being able to do that, but I ended up kind of falling into such a nice practice of law, like estate planning, which was more, I would say lifestyle friendly. And I really liked the people I worked with. I liked what I did. I did not hate it. It was enjoyable. Um, it wasn't like my passion. I still felt this deep desire to be writing novels, but I ended up staying there way longer than I thought. Um, mm. And yeah, at a certain point, I think like for pers- you know personal reasons and for career reasons, it was like really, it just felt like the right time to leave. And to give my writing dreams like a real shot. I really wanted Mm. to devote more time to them. So that's when I left.
1: Wow, I love that so much. I love that. (laughs) I do because I I got into American University Law and I was doing music at the time and had to decide between music and the law and kept deferring and deferring and deferring. And then finally they were like, (laughs) either you come to law school or you don't, you're going to have to start all over. And I went, okay, music it is. And so wow. it, it takes a certain amount of courage, speaking for myself, it took a lot of like, okay, I'm going to just do it. And, wow. and so for you, when you went, okay, that's it. My creativity deserves to be at the front of my life. Can you talk a little bit about what went into the decision-making process about that?
0: Yeah, I think it was way – it wasn't a decision I made with my logic part of my brain. I don't Mm. think anything that I've done since law has been. And I just (laughs) – I, and I think that – I don't know. I think I really – I've been on a spiritual journey like for the past at least 15 years like Mm. simultaneous, and I just really believe in following my heart over my head as Mm. maybe crazy that sounds to some people. But um, I've always had a belief, to be honest, that I was going to make more money – writing than I ever did in law and I haven't proven that yet I mean I'm able to make you know nice money now but like definitely not to the level I was making as a lawyer but I really Mm -hmm. still believe I will Mm -hmm. and so I don't know I think it was it was just a an intuition thing I've always had this vision of this like career I would have in this life I would have this creative life I would be able to have and I really always felt certain it was possible so you know, it's not that there's all this evidence for that, but it's mm-hmm. been like more of an internal belief. And I just, I always follow that over what everyone says is possible because I always, I, I truly believe more is possible than what most people think. And there's so many stories about, you know, what careers you can make money in, what, by what age you have to do certain things. And I feel like all of that is ridiculous. Um, And mm. so, yeah, I don't know, I guess I, maybe I'm a little bit of a rebel in
1: that way. I I love that you are and I you know <laughs> I love what you said about intuition. Uh, it, it's so powerful that gut feeling and trusting it. That I think maybe that's where the courage comes from is that you have to trust your gut feeling and yeah. go and go with that. Uh, and I want to I want to talk about that more but I want to come back to Michigan and let's reminisce a little bit if we, if you will. So you went to Michigan and you we grew up just a few miles from each other yeah. uh, when we were <laughs> when we were kids we have so much in it's really funny how much we a have in while. common uh but but you went you so for many people for myself included where do you go to school you go to either michigan or michigan state you chose michigan and it's it's a very it's a, I feel like it's a split on the one hand, you have this very deep research engineering science facet. And on the other hand, if you live anywhere near East quad, you're going to be in in a more artistic or North campus, Mm. you're going to be in a more artistic part of your brain. And you say that you follow your intuition more. Can you tell me a little bit about what that experience was like for you in this space that has both of those things pulling at you all the time?
0: Yeah. Well, I love that question. And I love, I love the thinking about it because while I follow my intuition now, always, it was not like that when I was younger. Mm. And so I think when I was at Michigan, I was in very much a logic, what are you supposed to do? Phase, mm. Kind of phase in my life. Not what do I want to do? It's what is, what do people want me to do and what is right. expected of me and how can I act in this world in a way that will be palatable. Um so I think when I look back at my college life and the me in college and that time in my life early 20s um that's how I was operating. So it's very different from how I operate now.
1: Yeah, and it is interesting to me how we go through these phases and I, it sounds like this one for you is a permanent phase. I'm in that same place where my intuition, my What's possible? Brain is what's yeah. at the at the forefront, and yet yeah. at Michigan there was definitely. I went through the whole gamut. You know, I went. I was going to be a pre med major, then a pre law major, then a political science major. Then I went to yeah. English and English drama. Yes, and so. <laughs> but it took it take it takes some time to access that creative upswell in yourself. You know, to and and even more time, I think, to trust it for a lot of us. Yeah. And so, I would love to talk to you a little bit about and and get your thoughts on that that being creative as a lifestyle you know because that's what yours is now so there I have a bunch of questions about where you get your ideas and all that but I would love to delve right into that notion of because this is the creative solutions podcast so I get to talk about it you know what what is that creative juice for you? I call it the juice and sizzle with my coaching clients. What is that juice and sizzle for you about creativity? That means so much that it's become the main part of your life.
0: Mm. Wow. Um, I love the question. I mean, for me, when I approach a project, it's always what feels fun and what do I feel curious about? Mm -hmm. And, um, it's so fun, as you said, to be able to make a career out of that. I mean, that's like wild. And I, I pinch myself every day that I get to do it because it's like, it can be, you know, from, from something from, I'm interested in sustainable fashion. And so somehow that's gonna, um, play into a career or a company in a book I'm writing. And then I get to do all this research about, I write a lot of, um, Jewish stories, Jewish characters and different um, you know, sometimes pinging from Jewish history, sometimes something more modern. I find that really interesting because I'm Jewish and I really like tapping into that. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I think for me, um, like what, what gives me joy, um, in terms of learning about and writing about is where I usually direct my creativity, not usually always.
1: Yeah, it's so interesting that you said that because that that question of what brings me joy for a lot of people, they don't stop to ask themselves that question. And even if they do, again, it takes a lot of courage. And then how do you know? So speaking about mindset again, how do you know when something makes you happy, like I understand now, you know, but when you were making that transition from, we'll say more left brain, logical person to more right brain creative, even though I know both sides of the brain play in, but let's simplify it a little. When you were making that transition, how did you figure out what was making you happy?
0: Yeah. Wow. That's such a good question. Um, I think like most things most decisions I make in life is does this feel good in my body will this bring me joy Mm -hmm. and I think they're Mm -hmm. connected I think like something that feels good in my body and brings me joy feels light feels fun it like feels like my body a little bit leaning towards that thing instead of when you hear something and you contract or lean away Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it feels expansive it feels like growth it feels maybe a little bit risky like Mm. a little bit stepping into some unknown that I don't know where it's going to lead, but it feels like, Ooh, I'm kind of excited to find out where that leads. Um, it doesn't, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's even like, it's even like thinking about, I'm frankly, I'm thinking about the next book I'm going to write cause I'm um, starting a new one and I was gonna, uh, I was thinking about setting it cause I always use setting setting for me is really fun cause I love to travel. So it's like very fun for me to pick a place that I'm curious about and Like follow that kind of spark. And Mm -hmm. I was going to set a book in Bali because I've spent five, five months in Bali and it's like pretty exotic. I feel like that's the location people would be interested in. And I do want to set a book there eventually, but I wasn't feeling that like really expansive, like, Ooh, this is, this feels so kind of Ooh, where's this going to lead? It was feeling more safe, maybe Mm -hmm. because I've spent so much time there. Mm -hmm. And so when I started thinking about a different location, which I won't say right now, but that started, I started to get that, like that buzz almost where you start to vibrate a little bit and Mm -hmm. you, I go down the Google rabbit hole and I'm, you know, researching one thing and it leads to the next thing and it leads to the next and my mind's spinning. And I'm thinking that that's like when I know the, an idea has, um, legs, Mm -hmm. does that make sense? Oh Yeah.
1: It it absolutely does. You know, and it's funny, uh, I spent after graduating Michigan, I went, moved to DC, met my husband, had been with him for 30 years and lived there, but always wanted to live in New York. Like literally when our plane was flying in, when we were immigrating, we flew into JFK and I saw the skyline and was like, oh, and I was seven. And I knew I had to live there someday. It only took 45 years and then I did it. But the point is my first two books that were fiction take place in new york while i was living in dc my most recent book which is a mystery novel i'm living in new york city but it is set in dc so <laughs> so i love so that location is very it's fascinating to me and i you know one of the things that i noticed about the, the book that I, of yours that i'm currently reading i know i haven't finished and i'm almost there um the chateau is has very juicy descriptive details but they're they're almost like they're you you interweave them beautifully in the story and I want to come back to that because that that is something that you and I have in common we both love Agatha Christie and she did that so beautifully as well but when you're writing and and I'm sort of going I'm taking a left turn at Albuquerque if you will when you're writing especially location and you don't have to give anything away about the next the upcoming book uh what do you decide is important enough to include in your world building of the setting?
0: Hmm. I love that question. And I think it kind of goes to how I write in general, which is without much logic involved mm-hmm. in it. So I mm-hmm. think that I think that there are there are concrete decisions I'm making that do have I mean, I'm making plot decisions with story in mind. So it's not like I'm just I definitely don't just like sit down in front of a blank page and just like let the story take me wherever. But I, but I do feel like in term in setting and in a lot of things, I'm just going with it. Like uh, for me, for me, it's like how I live my life. I think is how I do my books. And which is I like some routine. I like some structure to my day where, and same with my books. I like some structure to my book where I go in and I know the plot points and I know I know certain things and then I like between that to be a lot of freedom so that when I like, like how in my day I have a lot, like to have a lot of space and flow. So I like that Mm. with my books too. And I would say, I don't know that I'm thinking so concretely about what do I want to bring in from the setting? I mean, of course I'm trying to draw on all the senses. And, um, so I know if I'm like leaning too heavily on, um, you know, visual descriptions that I want to like, because sometimes I forget the smell and the taste, Mm -hmm. those kinds of things. But, um, and I feel like all that's important to really like bombard someone with the setting, but uh, a reader with the setting. But, but yeah, I do feel like it's more, and maybe it's because I've written so many books at this point, not, not all, most of them have not been published, but I do feel like I understand the rhythm of story certainly more than I did with my first, second, third books. Um, So, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's so interesting that you said that and I love that you said that because I know so many writers listen to this show and feel like, oh, I'm a failure if I've written a book and it hasn't been published. And mm. I love that you're going, ah, the first, second, third, fourth books, they never got published. It's all good. Totally. And can you give your advice about that? I would love, yeah. what what advice do you have to, especially creatives who are writing, when they feel like I've created this beautiful thing and no one's ever going to read it and, and and that maybe that's okay because the next one will be something different. What are your thoughts about that? What advice do you give to someone who's going through that right now?
0: Yes. I have so many thoughts about that. Um, I think that I think sometimes I think books are, um, a little bit of a mystical kind of entity that you can't really control. You sort of have to follow a book. And I don't think every book's mission is to be published. Mm. I think some books missions are to teach us to elicit something from us. And you kind of just have to follow this like magical path of a book. You know, it's like, I, I don't think you can always force it. And I think for me, you know, the first three novels I wrote, um, I so wanted each of them. I remember, I remember each book, you know, finishing in and I so wanted each one to be the one that got me the agent. And it was such a disappointment when the rejections are rolling in and it, you know, it's like a lot to contend with for sure. sure. But each, but I, I really believe that each of those books that didn't make it are invisibly present. And in now my books that do, and I, i'm so glad none of them got published i looking back wow i never want those to see the light of day and you know (laughs) it's hard to it's hard to you know feel that in the moment but i do think when i when i look back at those experiences that there was some sort of um intuition i think at a certain point that like the book had reached the end of its path and it wasn't this book wasn't going to be it and you know, kind of honoring that book for, wow, you, you taught me a lot, like, because I kept getting better. And I think if you can see your improvement, you know, you're on the right track. I don't think it's that you have to, um, have that external marker of, I got an agent or a publisher to know you're on the right track. I thought, I think as long as you see your growth and you feel like you keep getting better then it's like, just keep going. And I'm so glad that I didn't, you know, choose to spend say 10 years on one of those books and just keep pushing it into the, you know, I'm glad I, I think it's a really, um, important skill to be able to know when something's done and to move on. And I'm so glad I moved on and, um, and yeah, I've become such a better writer because of those books. So I'm so grateful for them because it's much easier for me to write a book now. It actually, it's much easier. It's much more fun. It's much more seamless. So I'm grateful for them, and I and I think I I teach workshops um, sometimes and sometimes writing retreats, and I do I do see people who get very stuck on a book like this one has to be it, and I guess my advice is don't get stuck on you know be willing to move on, be willing to try something different. Um, there's no failure because every book teaches you something, and and especially if you have fun with a book, if you can like try to find joy within the writing, then the external. Um, validation of it matters a bit less. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I love that you said that. And you know, what I tell my coaching clients is when you're done, be done. You yeah. have to you have to sort of put the punctu- final punctuation point on it, mark at the end, and maybe you'll come back to it. Maybe yeah. you won't, you know. But the other part of it is don't throw it away. As in, yeah. you might find that there's something about that book that is important to you twenty years later. So don't don't discount it completely. But it doesn't have to, like you said, it doesn't have to be published. And it's interesting when I go back and I read my early books, I go, oh, I tried really hard. You know, it was, yeah. it was, you, know you, you are where you are in the process. And so yeah. I would love, I would love to ask you, uh, I'm gonna, I'm, I keep feeling like I'm going backwards, but I'd love to ask you, let's back up a little bit and ask you where your ideas come from. Now you mentioned you like to do setting first and you write a lot of Jewish stories or Jewish characters but when you're like you made the decision for example it's not going to be bali it's going to be this other place where is that your intuition or is there a muse is there some you're reading the newspaper or or scrolling through instagram that that comes up and you listen to it how do you follow those breadcrumbs
0: yeah ideas are so interesting i could talk for forever about them i think it's i find it so fascinating where Ideas come from. It's like the birthplace of something is so mm. is so um, fascinating to me. And I think with each of my books, um, they come from a different spark. So I think it's just being open. But I think first of all, ideas come when you set the intention that you want one. So I feel like when I'm re- when I have space for a new book and a new project, it's like I'm setting the intention to whatever. I mean, I talk to the universe. I be- you know I have like a god relationship that I envision as God, but I, I don't think you need that. I think it's just like stating an intention and like, you know, being open to kind of receive it. So Mm. I feel like I state that I'm ready, but also I feel like I have this weird relationship with a book. Like I imagine, I kind of talk to my books. I kind of imagine them as like existing entities and, Mm. and it really starts from the first germinating kind of seed. So I think it's like, um, a conver it's a conversation where it sometimes um yeah like i said it does start with place usually for me it's like picking a place um and usually picking a few different kinds of motifs that then are threaded together um i would say with the chateau it was you know there was a there's a world war II storyline in there and that's kind of where the seed started for me um because it's inspired loosely by some family like history of mine mm-hmm. um and and picking the Provence setting. And, you know, there's an art angle in the book. And once kind of all those things threaded together, I started to, and I thought about the study abroad, these women come together because they studied abroad together. And even though girls trips with women has been done in the murder mystery realm, I had never seen like a study abroad kind of um, reason bringing people together. So I liked that. So I feel like it's like once all those unique factors came together and I was like, Ooh, this feels fun. It's it's always goes back to fun. This feels like exciting. Um, this feels like it could be joyful for me to write. Yeah. That's when I start to feel like, Ooh, and then it takes off from there because obviously then it morphs into characters and subplots and whatever. But I feel like I start with those, you know, four or five like seeds that kind of weave together.
1: I love that you said that they weave together, because here's my next question. What happens when it's not working? In other words, you're writing and you've written yourself. You say you write by intuition. Have you ever written yourself into a corner and gone, oh, this makes no logical sense with what I wrote 150 pages ago? Has that ever happened? And if so, how do you deal with that?
0: So I do like you know, it's, it's interesting describing it because I, I do plot pretty significantly. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's like, but still within, you know, I, I might write a 10 or 15 page synopsis before I start a book. That's like what I've been doing lately. Um, partly because my publisher wants it, but also I, I like plotting in that way. I like, I like knowing the contours of book and I did with Chateau also but I still feel like within that there's a lot of freedom you know there, like when you ask the question about setting there's so much freedom to expand and there's so much freedom to expand into character realms so I usually do know the plot points and I do mm-hmm. know the book's going to work in that way so I feel like at this stage no I don't feel like I'm writing myself into a corner but that doesn't mean that certain things don't work I feel like there's always I, I've, I don't know my experience has been with each book there's like always some challenge where it's like how is this going to work? You know, right. And um, I have a book coming out next year, and that's done. And um, in that one specifically, there was something that I was like, I don't think this is going to work. I just don't know how to make this work. And I'd had the whole plot, you know, it was otherwise working, but there was just one thing I couldn't figure it out. And I knew if I didn't figure it out, you know, the book just wasn't going to work. Um, and I think that, that in that scenario, I lean back on my. Super overriding, superseding belief, always that it's working somehow. I know this book was given to me because I am supposed to be writing it, and so obviously this point that I'm frustrated over, and you know, sometimes go into derail into this thinking of like this is going to torpedo the book. Then when I step back, I'm like, no, it's going to work. It's somehow going to work, and it's going to take the time it takes to figure it out, but it's going to work. Mm. And you know, that's what happened. It took a couple of months, and then I had the light bulb moment, and I figured out how to make it work. And the cool thing is, is like usually when that happens, I figure out a way to make it work that makes the book so much better than it would have been if I hadn't figured out that piece. Right. Um, So yeah, I feel like some of that stuff is like the magical kind of part of writing, but also the part where you have to have patience and you have to let a book just like kind of marinate in you. And, and I feel like for my practical tip in that, at, at least this is what works for me is I need space away from technology and in nature. So I uh-huh. live next to the beach. I, every morning go on a 45 minute walk on the beach, um, on the sand without my phone. And I usually do the same thing at sunset too. So that is like, for me, I mean, it's mental health and like just oh, yeah. healthy health, like a health thing, but it's also to me work time because when I'm in a book, oh my God, I can't even explain the amount of ideas I get. Like, you know, it's like, I'm always, when I'm writing a book, at least the first draft, I'm always like preparing in the morning, kind of like, okay, this is the scene I'm going to write. I'm like kind of almost visualizing how it's going to look. And then on the beach, I have so many ideas of, oh, do this, do this. And, you know, I run home and if I'm on edit stage and something's like maybe needs to be massaged and I don't know how to do it when I'm walking on the beach, always the ideas download. downloads. So I do think it's also, uh, if something's not working or it's going hard, it's like, opening up space to, to get the answers of how to resolve it. Cause I think it's hard to figure things out when you're just like mired in technology and, um, when you're not like in a receptive mode.
1: Yeah, that makes so much sense. And and I do it a little differently in that when it's a thorny problem, I will tell my brain to think about it before I go to sleep. Like I make that the last thing, I think, you know, and then, and then I often wake up in the morning with the solution right in front of me. And so, and you know, and it's, it's actually interesting. This is an Israel story. I learned the multiplication tables in Israel when we were living in Israel and we were immigrating. My father wrote them out to me, you know, one times one is one, one times two is two. And he wrote them out till nine by nine. And he had me read them all out and then put them under my pillow right before I went to sleep. And I woke up the next morning and I knew the entire multiplication oh,
0: table. I love that so, story. <laughs> we oh, were, that's the best story.
1: It was, it was, we were living, we were living in Bnei Brock at the time. And, oh. uh, and, and it was just so fascinating. I was seven and I think about it now and I'm like, how did exactly that work? But my subconscious went, oh, this is what you need to know. Great. And then plop, here it is. So, so that aspect of you taking the time out in nature by the water, which is, My the ocean is my favorite place. Mm. When you're, when you're there, you say you run home. Do you ever lose ideas in that run home? Or are you able somehow to keep the ones, like I say, keep the best, lose the rest. But what happens if an idea goes, I'm out of reach now. What, Mm. what are your thoughts about that? And how do you, how do you approach that?
0: Yeah, I, well, first of all, I love that multiplication table story. Oh my God. that's, (laughs) That's so good. I so believe that. And you know, I've heard that about people who set intentions when they go to sleep. And I, I think I, I've tried that a couple of times and I forget that that's like a tactic I can try. So thank you for that. I'm going to totally use that. Um, my pleasure. But, um, but in terms of losing ideas, I, I don't think that we, I, I don't think we lose. I, I don't think we lose the ideas that we're meant to have. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I do, I, when I'm in a particularly, um, deep, work period where like a lot of ideas are coming and I'm thinking about the book a lot I do you know I could go on a walk and get five ideas and sometimes I find myself like ticking them in my head like okay remember one two three four five um but yeah I just I don't know I feel like they they come it's like I I don't I don't feel like I'm gonna miss something I don't I so I'm not super precious about it I mean I do carry a notebook with me a lot and I write in my notes app on my phone so when I'm you know not on the beach I would obviously be you know, jotting down my idea if I had it, but yeah, I don't, I don't find that I lose ideas.
1: Awesome. I'm glad you don't. I, I lose them and have to, I'm constantly chasing them. I'm constantly (gasps) chasing my, wait, wait, come back, you know? And and (laughs) so I, I, I I carry a, I care, I do carry my phone, but like, I, that's how I write my books too. I wrote, Three of my books, Walking My Dog in the Woods, voice to text while I was walking my dog,
0: I, I recorded
1: them voice to text. And that was that was the way I did it. And, it, you know, and I think that's the thing about writers is there's no one way. There's no one yes. right way to write. And totally. there's no one right way to be creative and there's no one right way to to publish. Some people go traditional. Some people go independent. You have wrote a bunch of books and then now you have a, what you would call a traditional publisher. Can you talk a little bit about that process for you of finding an agent and what worked and what didn't work and how you as a creative person dealt with that process?
0: Yeah. Wow. My, my finding an agent process, I mean, took, I think, almost 20 years from when I first tried to, (laughs) um, get an agent to when I got one. Um, and we've now been working together five years. Um, so I would say it was hard and yeah, very hard, um, for me at least. Um, and I just think it required so much persistence and so much just, um, yeah, keep going. It's like, I, I remember, um, I, so my, my first book that, was published when we were young, which you, um, talked about came out two years ago. And, um, I remember when I, that was the first book I read, I wrote when I left my law job and was traveling. And, um, so, and it, and it was the first book. I think I really learned how to write a book through it. Like it was, it was, um, not an easy book to write. It required so many edits and so many, um, so many learning moments that I think my subsequent books that I've written have just been easier since that book. I like I really look at that book as it taught me something even though it wasn't by any means the first book I wrote. but it was like the first one where I was like, I really think this this can go the distance and so I just kept pushing it. But I remember it had, was almost um, two years after I'd left my law job I really thought like, oh my God, I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna write a book. I'm going to write a book and I'm going to get an agent really quickly. And that was not how it happened. And it was two years later. And I was like, Oh my God, I thought I would have an agent have sold this book already. And it was, it was like a real, and I'd been rejected by so many agents. And it was like such a, um, it was a very, it was a very hard time. And I remember just, I remember where I was because I had this moment with myself of, I love writing. I lo- I love this so much. It, brings so much joy to my life. I will never give up. You know, if I have to go back to law, if I have to get a different job, I'll do that. But I'm never giving up. I'm just gonna keep going. You know, maybe it's a different book. Maybe I I don't know what, but I'm just gonna keep going. And I so remember making that promise to myself. And then um I signed with my agent two weeks later. Um and now we've been working together five years. But you know, I do think it's like I think that Is so important. When I look back, it's like probably one of the more important moments I've ever had because it's like um committing to a thing because of the joy that thing gives you. It's like no matter what external validation, you know, I got or not, I was like committing to it. And I I I said that's what I was gonna pursue for the rest of my life because I knew that this I know that this is like important to me and this is a mission for me and it's what I love to do. So I think. Having that like purpose behind it, um, yeah, I don't know. I I think maybe it like freed something up, and I, I mean, I don't feel like it's coincidence that then I got my agent two weeks later. But um, yeah, that was not an easy process.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's you know, and it's funny. It's not an easy easy process for you know the millions of people out there who write books, uh, and many never get an agent. Many keep trying, and I think that's great. But I love what you said about that commitment. That 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 it becomes almost a certainty and then boom, two weeks later. But at the same time, it's not like you stopped. You didn't go, I commit to this and now I'm going to rest on my laurels. Right. Right, So there's a, there's a process there in, in that moment of going, I commit to this. And, you know, I have a friend who's a, a Wiccan and her high priestess said to her, Um, it's you can't cast a spell to lose weight while eating a Snickers bar. Shout out to Mm, Tina for that. I love that. And I just went, (laughs) I just went, yes. Yeah, when I heard that, I was like, absolutely. You you can't do that. You can't go, I want to succeed at this, and then wait for the success to come to you. Totally. You're gonna have to do something, you're gonna have to act on it somehow. So I would love to chat with you a little bit about what you said was the mission you mentioned you have your that is your mission can you talk a little bit about what your mission is and how you are addressing living your mission and working your mission on a day-to-day basis
0: yeah um i feel like my mission is to channel my light through my books and through through writing and i feel like my yeah i feel like writing brings my highest the highest kind of form of my energy or what i want to say and who i want to be in this world into manifest it mm-hmm. and i feel like personally you know my entire life as a reader i've gotten so much joy from other people's words and from their books and it's like and i think that joy means something you know it's like there's so many ways to contribute to the world and you know, my sister's a humanitarian. And so she's, she was, you know, for instance, living in Nigeria and going to the North of Nigeria to, you know, help the refugees in Boko Haram. And it's like so meaningful, you know, and I'm not going to say what I do is more meaningful than what she does, but I'm saying that we each have our own ways of like spreading our light. And I feel like Mm -hmm. my sister is completely in her highest way. And I feel like writing for me is my, in my highest way. And I think it's like, any way you can add joy to the world and add more light and add, you know, like that's, I think how we make a better world. And so I know for me personally, I've been so touched by, as a reader by other people's books. And I, and I feel like it's such a honor to be able to give that to other readers. And yeah, it feels like the highest form of my joy. So being channeled into books and that feels very much like my mission. And also like, you know, as part of that, writing Jewish stories, being able to tell stories that feel meaningful to me in some way, um, it feels important and it feels like a way to affect change, you know, through entertainment. I would always want to foremost entertain people. It's like, I'm not trying to write a textbook here, but I do Mm -hmm. feel like through story, it's such a powerful way to teach people things and to maybe expose them to, um, things that they, they don't know and that to think about things in a different way. So I feel like that's a very cool opportunity as an author.
1: I completely agree. And it's, it's always best to me when it's almost incidental to the story. Yes. In other words, people will learn as part of being immersed in the world of the book that you've written, which I love. Yeah, and totally. so that I, yeah. Woo. Yeah. you, you <laughs> yeah, Peas in a pod. Uh, <laughs> And it's it, it is interesting. My my most recent book is all about uh, a professional tarot card reader who works with the police to solve crimes. She's the detective oh, in the mystery. I love it. And, you know, and I read tarot professionally. So um, what's interesting about that to me is what a lot of the reviewers have said about the book is like, I feel like I learned how to read tarot through. Watching your character read tarot in in the book, and it's oh, it was it was unintentional, it. but it was there. It is, and so I I love that we can learn through the books that we adore, and that brings me to my next question: Who are your favorite authors?
0: I love it. By the way, as a sidebar, of course, because I feel like we're the same person. <laughs> I loved <laughs> I loved tarot also, and. Um, the book I just finished it doesn't have a tarot reader detective, but she had there's like a tarot reader who contributes to um solving a crime. So I just I love that we awesome. have so much um <laughs> synchronicities. But um who are my favorite authors? Well, definitely Agatha Christie. I I mean I adore her and I feel like I read her late. I don't know, late, but like I read her in my early 30s, and mm. um and I can't believe I didn't read her before. I don't know why I didn't. Um, and I just binge like every single book she's ever written and Mm -hmm. her autobiography and her memoir about archeology span and yeah, every, um, love. Um, I really, I really love, um, I would call my books like maybe, well, my, I mean, I only have one thriller out, but my next thriller also is in this vein. I feel a little bit like they're happy murders um so they're not like creepy murders and um I I personally am very sensitive I have a hard time uh, um reading things that are really really horrific it really um I don't know I'm too sensitive for it so I don't feel like that's where my writing goes and it's not really where my taste is as a reader either um I I think like Lucy Foley and Ruth Ware both doing really cool um kind of Agatha Christie like mystery thrillers now. And I really like both of them. I love, um, Daniel Silva. He writes kind of, uh, political intrigue, international, you know, secret Mossad agent. I love his books. Um, he's an auto buy for me. Um, I really like some, um, rom-com and how rom-com is getting pretty big right now. So I dabble in some of that. Um, and I really, I read a lot of spiritual nonfiction. Um, so I guess those are my, those are my biggest kind of tastes as a reader.
1: Ah, they're awesome. I'm going to have to, I don't know Daniel Silva, but I uh, love reading about uh, any, any, any book where there's a Mossad agent. I'm like, yes. Oh, I you there. need to read him.
0: So, he's so good. He has a new book out next week and he's my auto buy. So <laughs> I will be getting it to my Kindle. Yeah,
1: <laughs> for sure. I, I'm going to have to check him out. I love yeah. I'm a big I took a class in at at Michigan uh with Professor Joe Blotner uh may he rest in peace what a great professor it was a spy novel class where Whoa. we got to I know it was amazing that is so- Cool.
0: Oh my we God. That re- did not exist when I was at Michigan and oh, I would have hopped to that class. That sounds it, so good.
1: It was so good. We read so many, you know, spy who came in from <gasps> the cold quiller. We tremor of intent. If you've never read Anthony no. Burgess's tremor of intent, no. Anthony Burgess wrote a spy oh. novel and it is brilliant. So I oh highly,
0: God. highly, it I'm was just it reprinted.
1: It was just reprinted a few years ago. It was out of print for a while. It is. Br- I love Burgess anyway, but it's brilliant. So wow. yeah. Um, That that whole notion of like the titillation of that kind of stuff. And it's interesting to me that you said that you you write in many ways the same level, I guess, as you read, you know, you said, oh, I'm too sensitive. I don't think you're too sensitive. I don't think there's such a thing. I think you're just sensitive where you are. And and you have to know what you like, you know. You have to know what works for you as a reader as well as a writer. It it is interesting though that like I'm thinking about my own books and I'm going comfort zone. Where is my comfort zone with what I read versus what I write? And Mm. am I overstepping? I'm gonna have to give some thought to that because that's very interesting. I I would like to shift gears a little. I I could keep you here obviously for the next six hours, Jeff, because we have so (laughs) much. I would be happy. Uh, but I, and I hope you'll come back when when the next book comes out and check more. Oh my
0: god, more. I would love to.
1: This is so much fun. But I would I would love to. to something I read about you. Um, you said you know ch- you were talking about changing the world, and you said that changing the world starts with having an emotion about something and books that make readers feel seen. I would love 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 to hear what your thoughts are about that notion about through your books, you said that you're trying to bring your light into the world that way. But what do you believe makes readers feel seen in your books? Like, what about your books is that thing that makes someone go, yeah, she's speaking directly to me?
0: Hmm. I think like I think going there with our own vulnerabilities as authors um, is important i think um because i think that's how we can really mine our characters and I, I know for myself as a reader when i you know you're reading in the interior lives of people so it's not really you know what we get in our day to day query how deep it is you know obviously sometimes you go deep with the people in your life but a lot of things are surface and i think books are such a um beautiful way to see people's inner thoughts and inner lives and see what their why what their traumas in their past um you know why they've caused them to act in a certain way and I think as like as humans as readers when we when I read you know characters I see myself in little places and I see oh like you know that thing is like how I feel. And it, it helps you almost work out something almost like therapy. I mean, books are kind of free therapy, I think, Mm. um, in some ways. And so, um, yeah, I think it's like those threads of humanity that connect us all and make us relate in certain ways to people and maybe even understand the people in our lives better because maybe someone on the page is maybe not like us, but like someone we know. And so, um, yeah, I think, um, I think books that make us feel are to me the most powerful and yeah, it's definitely something I would, I try to do as a writer.
1: That's I love that. And I, I, okay. So I'm going to ask this question and it's a, it's a little weird, but I'm going to ask it anyway. In, in the Chateau, which I'm reading right now, what parts of you are in your characters?
0: mm yeah, I have to th- well, you know what? I the character of Jade, she's the only um Jewish character um
1: mm-hmm.
0: of the girlfriends. And um she has a family history. She's a father who um kind of s- survives the Holocaust or not in concentration camps but as a hidden child in France. And um I guess that's a spoiler actually. Now <laughs> that I think about uh is that a spoiler? Okay, no, it's not a spoiler. Um, not really. But um and she has um a child who there was like an, an anti Semitic incident, like um, like slur set against her child at school. And I think that that felt very close to home for me. Um, mm-hmm. I think that everything that's going on in the world today with anti Semitism has been very personally upsetting and really affected me. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, we spoke a little bit th- about this in terms of our kind of crazy similarities, but my dad is a Soviet immigrant. He left um the Soviet Union when he was 28. And um there's so much trauma in my family's past related to anti-Semitism and related to the Holocaust. And mm-hmm. I think a lot about um, the inheritance of trauma and how that's passed to subsequent generations. And I've thought, Mm. you know, thought about it a lot in my own life. And I think I've worked it out in, I think, my first book and also this one, um, you know, on the page, I think, subconsciously. So, yeah, I definitely think that those are the parts that were stewing most um, deeply in myself when I was writing this book. And so I think they came out most in that character. Um, But I'm sure you know, other characters, I I can't think off the top of my head what I, but, you know, little snippets and, um, and maybe not always from my own experiences, but also, you know, um, observe all my friends, my family, people in my life. And so sometimes little things that they're going through might make it in. And it's never that any character is based off of someone else. It's never like that, but, um, you know, characters are so layered and so things
1: make it in that way. Uh, it, makes all sorts of sense to me and you know it's interesting thinking of anti-semitism I never knew either grandfather because both died in yeah. the holocaust and uh yeah it, and and also like my first my first couple of days at Michigan uh somebody on my I lived in West Quad and somebody knocked on my door and she asked if she could see my horns because oh. she heard Jewish people had horns That and, is wild, is not that wild and so wow. so you know so hearing you talk about the fact that you have that you're that you have this kind of it is educational I mean it is it is something people can learn not all your readers are Jewish your non-Jewish readers will read this book and they'll get something out of it that will hopefully open their eyes Um, and I think that's amazing and wonderful and so I guess the question I'd like to ask you Uh, before we wrap up, because I, again, I could keep you here for another six hours. I could stay here for another six hours. Uh, This is so much fun. (laughs) So talk to me a little bit, if you don't mind, about two-part question. What do you want your readers to walk away with from reading your books? And what does creative success look like at the end of a book?
0: Mm, love those questions. Okay. Well, first in terms of walking away with, I really feel foremost that I want to entertain and I want someone to have that experience that blissful reading experience of like Mm. I can't put it down I'm so mesmerized I'm so sucked into this world like that to me is more important than imparting any message because I feel like it's just as important as imparting a message it's like um it's like to put down a book as a reader and to feel that blissful joy is so the experience I want to give to anyone so that's that's like number one but then of course like you know, like we've touched on the the World War II storyline, the anti-Semitism storyline, like that to me is is meaningful. And I think it's um I think in particular, there's so many books that um talk about the Holocaust and talk about the horrors of that time, but most books do it from a perspective of the past. And it's kind of rare that you see a Holocaust storyline or a World War II storyline you know in cont- in a contemporary book with like implications towards today and mm-hmm. i think it's still the holocaust is still so resonant not just resonant but it's still impacting you know people so deeply today in ways that i don't think are always talked about you know in part like in the inheritance of trauma um i mean i see it living in israel there's you know i think just walking around you see the impacts of the holocaust in day-to-day conversation and and such. So I think that showing the contemporary kind of lingering effects is, um, feels powerful. And then wait, the second part of your question was, Oh, how, how do I measure creative success, Mm -hmm. um, of a book? And I would say for that, um, truly I, and I, I really mean this, I, the biggest, you know, creative success. And I'm, I'm not saying I don't pay attention to external success. I absolutely do. But to me, the biggest success of a book is how much fun I have writing it and how enjoyable the process is for me and how, how I feel while I'm writing, because mm-hmm. I just, I just finished writing a book also a new one. Um, so I can speak to, and it's always like the last month of a project. I feel like I'm almost on a high. It's like the book is pouring out of me Um, It feels very consuming. It feels so fun. And so that to me is honestly the biggest success of the process. And then, of course, there's the external success where it's so beautiful and wonderful. And I feel so blessed, you know, if my agent loves it, if my editor loves it, if readers love it, if reviewers love it, of course. And not everyone does. Let's be honest. There's always going to be rejections from no matter what stage you are at this game, you know, like some readers are not going to like it. Some reviewers are not going to like it. So I think it's like, I try to pay attention to that as little as I can. Of course, sometimes those negative voices get into my head, but I really, I try not to get too caught up in it. And um, sometimes that doesn't work, but yeah, mostly I try not to get too caught up in it because it's kind of, you know, I, I heard something someone said, which really resonated with me, which is like, once you're done with your book, you, you don't need to babysit it. Like, it's not your job to be babysitting it as to how everyone reacts to it and what happens with it. It's kind of like, I finished my job. I wrote this book. I'm going to promote it as best I can, but then it's kind of out of my hands and the rest is like, not really my business, you know? Um, so yeah.
1: I love that so much. And I, I think of what RuPaul said in her book, and she said in her autobiography, what people say about me behind my back is none of my business. And I just, I love that. yeah, that was so that was one of those truism moments. Yeah. I, I, I've had a few of those in my life. Uh, I love that too. Yeah. It's very, uh, I love it so yes. much. Um, <laughs> so uh, before I let you go, I have a couple more questions. First of all, if somebody wants to find out about Jacqueline, and I every time I see your last name I'm like it's not Golda which is my sister's name it's oh, Goldus <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, so so if somebody wants to find out more about you and more about your books where should they go
0: Yeah well I have a website JacquelineGolda's.com. so you can definitely go there and um at JacquelineGolda's on Instagram is where I'm most active on social media
1: All right very cool I will put those links in the show notes so that uh so that we get. Uh, I'll get you that stuff. And also, uh, if it's okay with you, I'd love to put the cover of at least the Chateau in the show notes too. So that people can see what that looks like. That would be super fun. All right. perfect, Excellent. All right. I have one last question. And it's a question I ask everyone who comes on the show. But before I ask it, Jacqueline, I want to say thank you so, so much for joining me. This has been such a joy to get a chance to talk to you, especially about something that we, we have so much in common.
0: Wow, I feel the exact same. Such a joy to talk to you. I can't. I, I really can't. <laughs> my mind is blown at how much we have in common. <laughs> it's it's just so fun to chat. Yeah, yeah, I've, super fun. I've, I've had a blast.
1: Oh, I'm super. I'm glad. I'm really glad. Ah, uh, so this is my last question. I ask everybody who comes on the show: If you had an airplane environmentally friendly, of course, <laughs> you could skywrite anything for the whole world to see. What would you say?
0: Oh, that's the best question. Ah, wow. Okay, I need. I just take a moment.
1: <laughs> take your time. <laughs> ba 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 I'll just sing the Jeopardy theme song for you. <laughs>
0: Um, wow. This feels momentous. I'm still thinking.
1: <laughs> it's not a problem. It's not a problem. <laughs> While you're thinking, I will say the following. You have been listening to the Creative Solutions Podcast. I am your host, Isolde Trachtenberg. I've been speaking with author and world traveler Jacqueline Goldis. You need to obviously go check her out. And actually, she and I have decided we're the same person, basically. So you're going to have, <laughs> you if, if you like what I'm doing, you're going to love what she's doing. And, check out the Chateau I'm in the middle of reading it and I am loving it it's like reading modern Agatha Christie that's sort of the way that I would review it if I were reviewing it I would say that it's like reading a modern Agatha Christie novel so contemporary but also some stuff that takes place by 70 years ago you're gonna you're gonna really enjoy it I think it's a really cool book so now back to you Jacqueline any thoughts on your comment about this
0: I think I I would have it um, I would skywrite um, you are beautiful and amazing and perfect, and all is so well. I think that's what I would skywrite.
1: I love see. that. That is so <laughs> great. I, you know, it's funny, a few years ago, I've done I've done 600 episodes of the show and so and I asked this of everybody. and I did this episode where all I did was take that little bit of advice from everyone who's been on the show. And people have said that it is the most uplifting, wonderful thing to just listen. It's three minutes long or four minutes long. Just oh my God, I want to listen to that. Yeah, it's so it's so cool just to have that boom, boom, wow. boom of people giving you this incredible, life-changing, life-altering, distilled advice. I just, it, wow, it's so I wanna much.
0: Re- I want to listen to that. Can I listen to that on your yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll, oh. I'll send
1: you. It's a, it's in it's a podcast episode, so I'll send you the link. All oh, right, wow. Jacqueline. Again, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. I appreciate you. Jacqueline Goldis has been here with me talking about writing, creativity, intuition, inspiration, and how to live your best freaking life. Mm-hmm. Until next time, this is Isolda Trachtenberg. I'm reminding you that mindfulness and creativity go hand in hand. Please remember to be both mindful and creative. And as always, be bold, be creative, and most of all, be kind. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you being here. Please subscribe to the podcast if you're new, and it would mean the world to me if you told a friend about it. Today's episode was produced by Isolde Trachtenberg and is copyright 2023. As always, please remember this is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Past performance does not guarantee future results, although we can always hope. Until next time, keep living what you believe in.